You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome into the first post-game edition of the Lions 24-7 podcast here in the 2022 Penn State football season. And week one gave us plenty to discuss. It sends the Nittany Lions back home with a 1-0 record, most importantly. But how they got there, the ebbs and flows, and quite frankly, the roller coaster rises and dips that led them to that point. A 35-31 victory. A touchdown from Kevon Lee in the final minute makes the difference. Sean Clifford has five total touchdowns, but boy, oh boy, that doesn't tell the story of the night for number 14. Nearing 2 a.m. local time in West Lafayette, Daniel Gallen is coming to us from Ross 8 Stadium, where Penn State just picked up that victory. We're going to have him on these postgame podcasts from the road. Daniel, thank you for handling business for us out there with Mark Brennan. I know he's busy at work right now. Uh, you just finished player conversations. You heard from James Franklin. First things first, though, what do you make of that final two minutes of this matchup? It was a wild one. I mean, you know what they say, you can never give Sean Clifford too much time at the end of the game, and uh, Penn State somehow pulled it out. I mean, it was really touch and go um, when Bretton Strange hauls in that 67-yard catch and run at the end of the first half. You think that Penn State has really asserted itself, has gotten, is going to be in line for a dominant win over Purdue going into the half. But the way that Purdue really rallied made things tough for the Nittany Lions uh, and came back on that pick six to take that 31-28 lead late. I mean, it felt a lot like the games that we saw last year from Penn State, where it really seemed like it was never in doubt until the very end. Uh, But this time, like they did early last year, Penn State comes out uh, on the right side of it. Yeah, it's the second consecutive year where they go on the road to a Big Ten environment, come away with with a thrilling victory that leaves the host heartbroken. And look, it's a four-point win for Penn State. They were a a three-and-a-half-point favorite. So that was kind of right on the money. But to your point, they come up with two touchdowns and a takeaway in the final 70 seconds or so of that first half. And it throws the complexion of this game completely out of whack compared to where we thought it was heading at halftime. Purdue was driving the football um, and then they come out of this thing and Sean Clifford is missing it from action. I think that's the storyline number two. Before we get to Sean Clifford's finish, he wasn't out there to start the second half. And all of a sudden, number 15 is coming off the sideline. Can you break down what you heard from the pre- uh, perspective of players from James Franklin about why that happened, how it happened, and what were to kind of sort through two quarterbacks involved? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think we talked about it last week after Drew Aller got named the number two quarterback where we were like, all right, at some point during Big Ten play, we're going to have to see Aller because of the way that Clifford plays, uh, whether it's, you know, he's banged up because he plays so physical or whether it's performance based, uh, given what we've seen the last couple of years. But I don't really think that we thought that Drew Aller would be making his collegiate debut 
uh, on a Thursday night at Ross Aid Stadium in prime time. Um, I think that was kind of a, a bit of an unexpected development. But uh, James Franklin said that Sean Clifford uh, had cramps uh, that, and he went into the locker room to get an IV. Um, I watched Sean Clifford's uh, little interview at the end of the game uh, on the field with Fox. And he gave kind of, he said he, he had some tweaks, some minor things and gave kind of a, a vague answer that he didn't get into. And then during his post game scrum, he said that he wasn't going to talk about, uh, wasn't going to talk about his absence. So uh, pretty vague, but that's kind of the par for the course with, with injuries and, and Penn state. Um, but yeah, I mean, we saw Drew Aller warming up with Bo Perula on the sideline. Um, we didn't know how long he would be in, what kind of situation he would be put in, but uh, he came in and Olu Fashionu said that he got into the huddle, was the same Drew that they saw in practice. Everyone was going up to him on the sideline and telling him that he had it, they were confident in him, and he got out there and he threw some really nice balls. Um, the drop that Tyler Warren had was a very pretty pass, um, even though I, I believe Mitchell Tinsley was wide open on that play. Um, I'd have to go back and look at that again. Um, and then he did have the misfire um, on the third down behind Mitchell Tinsley. But overall, um, you know, for something that we weren't really expecting to, to see tonight, we probably weren't expecting to talk about now. Um, it was a very, you know, I think I was, I was pleased with what we saw out of Drew Aller um, in that situation. Um, basically, all he had to do, I mean, Penn State was, was up by four uh, when he came in. So they just kind of needed him to tread water um, and, you know, keep it, keep the game, at, like hold serve more or less. And I'd say that he did that for Penn State. I mean, didn't result in any points, but I enjoyed watching Drew Aller go out there and, and compete a little bit and, and throw the ball around. And there was an opportunity where the six foot five, two hundred forty two pound freshman probably could have galloped for a first down, and he decided to fire the ball downfield. These are kind of things as he gets a feel for the game. But hearing what you did from Olu and, and, and hearing what we heard from Drew Scruggs earlier this year about the development on the practice field for Drew Aller, going from a guy who didn't really have a voice in spring ball to someone who can now command a, a, a bunch of guys who are three, four, five years older than him in that huddle. Very important. And James Franklin did say they hope to get Drew involved next week against Ohio. That's where we thought maybe we, we'd get our first peek at him. Of course, as things happen with Sean Clifford, there always seems to be drama in the air. So it happened tonight. Uh, but we'll tuck that one away. We'll file it away. There's no doubt that'll be a topic of, of conversation in the next nine days before Ohio comes to Beaver Stadium. Let's step back here. And, and I want to make sure our listeners know, just like in, in the past, we're going to come back to you early next week on a Monday. Now that we, we'll catch our breath. We'll gather, we'll write down some thoughts, we'll get some stories up, and then we'll get a chance to kind of dive back in with some newfound perspective. But coming out of these games, we've called them a therapy session in the past. So, Daniel, take your seat on the couch. They apply to losses, they apply to wins. And this one, again, there was such a pendulum swing uh, along the way that you come out of this one, you say, this team's 1-0, but there were some familiar concerns that creeped up. So why don't we begin there? Because there are some just positives to shine lights on, but I couldn't help but think as you saw the third quarter seep into the fourth quarter and the minutes dwindled, we've been here before. Three, four, five play possessions that aren't moving the ball, that aren't giving your defense a chance to rest, inability to pick up key yards early in your set of downs, setting yourself up for, for manageable third downs. And, and effectiveness from Sean Clifford it looked like he wasn't quite all there physically for portions of this thing. We know how it ended, but boy, there were some red flags along the way. Yeah, I mean, I think that the number one place that we have to start with that is the running game. 
Um, you know, we saw some good things from Catron Allen and Nick Singleton. I think you can see why there was so much excitement about them. Um, I think both of their first runs, uh, I think they both went for nine yards. Um, and you could kind of see that, okay, this burst is here. Um, I think Catron Allen looked so smooth. Um, I know that we know that he had the, the nickname Fat Man and he was kind of regarded as the, as the power back back there. But I was very impressed by the way that he was able to find the holes. It seemed like that he was moving at playing at a different pace um, than, than the defenders on the field. And then I think Nick Singleton in these games against Ohio, uh, Central Michigan, and then you want to see it against, you know, quality Big Ten opponents, he's going to break one. Um, it's just, I think it's a matter of when, not if with him. Um, but, you know, we looked at it and the numbers uh, at the end, just kind of 3.1 yards per carry total for the running game. Uh, ESPN, uh, the stats tonight are a little wonky, um, but we've got 3.9 yards per carry for Katron Allen, 3.3 for Kevon Lee, 2.4 for Nick Singleton. Uh, Devin Ford made a cameo um, in the passing game and had a key 12-yard catch uh, to convert a third down. Um, so obviously, I think there. I think we did see improvements in terms of the the quality of player back there and kind of what the capabilities are. But at the same time, um, you know, there wasn't those kind of sustained uh, drives, and and they were pounding the rock early. <laughs> I mean, those first couple drives, it was every first and second down. Um, you know, let's give it to Nick Singleton. Let's give it to Katron Allen. Let's give it to Kevon Lee. Um, I think that James Franklin, you know, was. And Mike Yersich might have been trying to prove a point. Um, but, you know, you could see kind of what's there. You can see the potential for it to be different than it was last year. But we have actually haven't seen uh, that, you know, in practice yet. Yeah, Katron Allen, by the way, I thought what stood out was the the trust that the staff showed in him in some very crucial moments uh, during uh, a touchdown drive. Uh, it wasn't the 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 final touchdown drive, but Penn State's fourth touchdown drive of the game. Uh, he had a nine yard pickup in Purdue territory on a catch, and then he had an eight yard run during the game winning drive. Obviously, it was Kevon Lee in the spotlight at the end of it, catching the touchdown on a very nice wheel route, which he noted. No gloves on the hands for that reception uh, on Twitter afterwards. But you know, Kevon Lee comes a, a, away looking like the star. I don't think it's really fair to qualify any running back as a star tonight. But obviously, you score the game-winning touchdown on the road in the final minute. You're going to get that spotlight. So a nice moment for a guy that Jaywan Sider has said all offseason, has answered the bell, has responded to these guys. But just based on limited sample size here tonight. And by the way, kudos to Devin Ford, who contributed in probably more meaningful ways than some people anticipated. But you see those freshmen, what they can do a little bit when they have some space. And James Franklin was not happy about the fact that his running backs oftentimes did not have space, did not get a chance to go out and make a safety miss because they had crowded traffic. And let's land there because that's the other part of the running game equation. And I guess we couldn't make it too far into our first game post-game podcast without addressing the run game, without addressing the offensive line. That's what James Franklin knew we were all going to do coming out of this one. So we saw a lot of names in there. Uh, Hunter Norzad was one we thought we'd see. But then Bryce Effner pops up, and and in a really important moment, on the game-winning drive, number 72 is at right tackle. Caden, Caden Wallace, of course, a third-year starter for this offensive front, at right tackle for the majority of this game. Uh, he was pretty badly burned on, on a pivotal sack. Um, overall, he, he's a guy that I think Mark Brennan has said kind of typifies w- where a lot of people are with this offensive line. They want to see it to believe it. 
So moving parts here, and there's going to be moving parts next week, it sounds like. It's a work in progress with the run game. If anyone thought they were going to show up uh, on the door, on the doorstep at, at Ross Aid Stadium and, and go run for 250 yards and look like a, a well-oiled machine, it's going to take more time than that if they get there. Yeah, I think the big takeaway with the offensive line is we got a little bit of clarity uh, with some of the, the position battles on the interior where Salim Wormley was at the right guard spot the whole time. When they talk about, oh, we're going to play three, three guys, starter reps there, that means the rotation's at left guard. I think that was one thing that we learned tonight with Landon Tangwall uh, getting the start, uh, Hunter Norzad coming in in the second quarter, Tangwall coming back in the third, and then I think it was Norzad in the fourth. I think you outlined that on Twitter pretty well. Um, I think there was I think there was at least one series where Norzad was in at right guard, but there's no doubt about it. Oh, okay. When he was in, when he was in, it was predominantly on that left side, which is really what mm. our forecast was coming into the season. Yeah, and the, the Bryce Effner and Caden Wallace situation is interesting. Uh, James Bryce Effner was in there early as that sixth offensive lineman, which is the role that we saw him in last year. Um, but post-game, James Franklin was asked about uh, Bryce Effner going in at right tackle in that key spot. And he, you know, he said that, oh, yeah, we wanted to get Bryce Effner in. You know, we were going to play Bryce Effner. But at the same time, Caden Wallace has some things that, that he needs to clean up. So that was kind of a, a vague in-between answer. I mean, it's kind mm -hmm. of hard when you see uh, you know, the right tackle get burned badly and then the next drive, the backup is in. Um, I think that you can kind of read between the lines there um, with what was going on. But I'd say that Olu uh, Fashionu on the left side, I think he acquitted himself well. Mm -hmm. I'm going to have to go back and watch. Um, but I felt like Juice Scruggs was, was pretty active um, when it came to polling, getting out of front of guys. Um, some of the rollouts they had with Sean Clifford, um, Scruggs was really noticeable getting out in space. But yeah, I mean, this offensive line, I think the one positive that you can maybe take over last year so far is last year they could only go six deep. Um, and this year they've established that they can go seven deep. So that's kind of the, the tiny victories I think that you're looking at. But you know, you want to see them come out against Ohio next week and just really push someone around, you know, and be kind of what they should be physically based on those recruiting rankings, based on Phil Troutwine's uh, development record. But, you know, I think that we came in with some questions and we wanted them to prove it. And I don't necessarily think that they proved it tonight. But they did get a win, and, and that that deflects things a bit. That provides mm -hmm. a shield. It, it's amazing what one drive can do for you uh, as a program, collectively and individually as a player. It can create a bit of a buffer because you're not quite as exposed as you are if you're zero and one coming home. Uh, I, I do want to add. You, know, you mentioned Franklin saying in the post game they plan to rotate in Bryce Effner. I just have a hard time thinking a previously scheduled rotation was you know for the final two minute drive of the matchup when you got to got to score points to win the game. So something to watch at right guard, something to watch inside at right tackle, and something to watch inside as Hunter Norzad gets his opportunities. And, and let's get to the transfer conversation real quick because I don't want to overlook any of them. Uh, we got, we'll throw in Barney and Moore because he transferred in last year, and, and I'll let you spotlight him in a moment because you gave him one of, those, one of those game balls in your piece afterwards. But mm -hmm. Chop Robinson comes up with a sack, and, and there were few and far between opportunities to get after Aiden O'Connell. That's the book on him, and that was what we saw tonight because of the, the, the way this offense gets the ball out in a hurry. But Chop Robinson, 
I thought he applied some pressure at different times, showed some suddenness off the edge. He was noticeable when he was out there attacking the pocket, and he got O'Connell at the end. And then Mitch Tinsley comes up with the first touchdown of the season. He ends up being the leading receiver on the evening for Penn State. So if you're looking for a transfer impact, you go three for three, you throw in Barney and Moore. Uh, you like the additions that Penn State had. No one's watching from the sideline. People are impacting the win. Yeah, I think that the thing that stood out to me with, with Chop Robinson is that he showed a little bit at, at Maryland last year, but we were hearing a lot uh, during camp about that first step that he has, that quickness. And I think we really got to see that tonight. Uh, even though Aiden O'Connell is really good at getting the ball out, this is one of those games where you're not going to get a lot of sacks. And that fir the first sack of the game didn't come until late uh, when Caden Wallace got beat bad um, and Sean Clifford went down. And then I think the next play uh, that Purdue had was Penn State's first sack. So it took a little bit for the pass rushers to get going. But Chop Robinson, you can see why he was a five-star in the 24-7 sports rankings coming out of high school. Uh, you can see why Penn State wanted him so badly. And I think that he's someone in these in these other non-conference games against Ohio, Central Michigan, uh, he's really going to flash. And then you can kind of see that continuing um, as Penn State goes into the Big Ten schedule and faces teams that aren't necessarily Purdue, don't necessarily run this type of offense. Uh, Mitchell Tinsley, I, it, I, was, I looked after the game and I saw he had seven catches and it almost didn't really feel like that. Um, it, there were, I felt like they should have been going to him a little bit more. Um, because it felt like whenever he got the ball, he was he was making something happen. Um, that touchdown was a pretty nice play where he just got open and he just beat everyone to the pylon. Um, and then that big play on the final drive with the stiff arm where he was able to get down the sideline, shed a guy, and really set up that final touchdown. Um, I think that you, you really can't ask for more um, from someone, especially because uh, he's making that jump. He was in Conference USA last year. Um, he put up those numbers at Western Kentucky. Um, obviously, physically, you can see what he is, but you do have the question about how that is going to translate. And tonight it translated. Um, I was really happy to see what he could do. Um, and then finally, Barney Amore. Um, I spoke for him a little while um, afterwards. I mean, this is his first time punting in a game since 2019. He has quite the journey. Uh, he spoke about getting that scholarship. Um, I'll have something up on Lions 24-7 this weekend or early next week about that. Um, but I don't think you could ask for more. I mean, you can't really replace Jordan Stout one for one, uh, but Barney Amore put three, uh, he put three kicks uh, inside the 20. Uh, he had two inside the 10, and he should have had a third at the one uh, where Daquan Hardy and Keaton Ellis, I think, got a little, little over-eager because that ball was mm -hmm. dead, uh, and they ended up knocking it into the end zone. So um, that he had kind of the one miss hit early, but after that, he settled in, and it was just very impressive to watch because, you know, he's a, he's a total wild card. Um, like I said, uh, I think last week, I mean, he's been in college for five years. He's only punted consistently one of those. He was making the jump up from the FCS, and especially as with a specialist, you're not quite sure what that means. But he said he learned a lot last year uh, from sitting behind Jordan Stout, um, and he's really been able to apply that. And the fact that he was at all the games last year, he kind of knew what to expect when he got into this environment. Because uh, I think Mark had Mark brought up the stat where uh, in 2019, I think Colgate played before just about 84,000 fans total over the course of their season. There were 50, 57,000 people 
uh, here at Ross Aid Stadium tonight. There's going to be a hundred, you know, hundred seven thousand at Beaver Stadium next week. So I think Barney Amore, uh, the stock is way up. Uh, great early returns for Penn State there. We'll be right back on the Lions twenty four seven podcast. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This was like a obvious like spot for special teams to doom you on the road <laughs> in the blackout setting where one mistake is going to cost you because it's the margin of victory is, is is so narrow. And yet we didn't get that shank of a punt um, in a key moment. I think you mentioned he, he had his worst punt early, got that out of the way, and then he was on the rest of the way. And Jake Pinneger, I felt like maybe it was setting up for him to have to convert a field goal to tie this game and push it to overtime. Didn't happen because Sean Clifford got hot and this team scored a touchdown, but he got his his extra points handled. So they avoid that kind of thing. I felt like if you were to tack on a special teams miscue on a day that you throw a pick six and, and have uh, such a uh, kind of a span of offensive uh, ineptitude, it would have doomed them. So kudos to the special t- specialists for getting it done. We don't talk about them enough when they do well. We talk about them a lot when they do poorly. And, and Daniel, I, I do want to go to the receiver room because we just talked about Tinsley, but I feel like probably if you had expectations versus reality in this matchup, you were a little underwhelmed by the receiver group. Now, there's a couple caveats here. One, speaking of redemption stories, which Sean Clifford delivered his own, Keandre Lambert-Smith you know, went beast mode, broke a tackle, and, and, and scored on a 29-yard touchdown that at the time – just felt so important for the momentum of this matchup, maybe giving it to Penn State for the rest of the way. Um, that came off a, a couple key drops early on, and, and drops, unfortunately, plagued Penn State, both sides of the ball. Uh, you know, We saw Joey Porter Jr. drop an interception early. I think Keaton Ellis had a chance to put the game away at one point with an interception. Um, so I'll tell you what, what do you think about uh, this receiver group and, and kind of moving forward? Because we didn't learn a lot about those fourth, fifth, sixth guys that we spent so much time speculating on. Yeah, I think that when you look at uh, look at the night for the wide receivers, I think that you know we just talked to Taylor Stubblefield on Tuesday, and I felt like you kind of saw some of the things that that he talked about, especially when it came to Keandre Lambert Smith, um, where they talked a lot about the mental. And you see Lambert Smith drop those two passes early, both of which were big. And you know he's been very honest with us about kind of the mental struggles and not letting this stuff kind of compound. And you're kind of thinking, oh no is he done? Like, will he be a non-factor the rest of the way? And, but kudos to him. He comes back, breaks that big tackle. Um, He finished with, I think, two more catches. He helped move the chains uh, in a couple key spots. Um, And I think that that's what you want to see. You're looking for, we talked about it. You're looking for a guy who can be a game breaker um, and take that short slant the rest of the way uh, for a touchdown. And that's what he did. So I felt like that, you know, you, you want to see a consistent 60 minutes from him, but, you know, I'd say you got like a consistent 35 or 40 from him, and that helped make a difference in the game. Um, as for the rest, of the rest of the wide receivers, mentioned Tinsley. Uh, Parker Washington wasn't, you know, he wasn't necessarily super involved, um, but you kind of liked what you saw from him. But That was pretty, was pretty sweet. Yeah, 
except that that forearm got him down, uh, which was which was tough because uh, that was one of the more more fun plays. But yeah, I think it was sweet. It was sweet until it wasn't. Yeah, um, but I I think it's going to be really interesting next week at Ohio. Um, I think that they kept kind of the. I mean, they did rotate through. We saw Harrison Wallace out there. We saw Omari Evans out there on the last drive of the game. Uh, the freshman who enrolled early. Um, I think we kind of got a little bit of a window into those five excuse me, five, five and a half, uh, who they were. Um, so that'll be interesting to kind of pin down now uh, moving forward. But I think that the promise is there. Um, I think that Clifford did a good job spreading the ball around and letting guys make plays. Um, we have a couple shout outs to get to before we th- uh, wrap things up. I know you're on the verge of being tossed out of of the t- of maybe West Lafayette altogether. I don't know, but certainly of the stadium. Um, I do want to get to some quick notes because we had some players missing. You know, always interesting when we when we get our first travel report and travel roster. No Koziah Izzard, who was a starting defensive tackle down the stretch last year with P.J. Mustafer gone. We projected him as a two, three deep kind of presence at tackle. He was not on this trip. Nor was Smith Bilbert. Last time we saw him in a game, he had three sacks in the outback bowl, defensive end. Um, there but not active, tight end Theo Johnson. Brenton Strange had the big touchdown reception on the broken coverage. Tyler Warren kind of had a mixed day with, with, with his production. Theo Johnson, though, not involved. He was out there. And just clearing up some of the starters that we weren't sure about. Hakeem Beeman started alongside P.J. Must for a tackle. It was Keaton Ellis who got the nod and a bit of a surprise at safety. But we saw a lot of Jalen Reed. Zaki Wheatley, the takeaway king, came up with a forced fumble uh, that Joey Porter recovered. That led to the, to the late touchdown at, at the first at, in the first half, and really a key play, which this kid just magnet for the balls. We've heard um, a couple. What we have to monitor though is Jair Brown. I mentioned some of these guys that weren't involved. He was not on the field late, so that's something that's going to be really important for us to keep tabs on. Did you get anything on the Brown situation uh, fr- from players from coaches afterwards? No, there was that that late drive where he wasn't out, but then he was back on the next drive. Um, so I'm not not quite sure uh, what was going on there. Um, I mm-hmm. think we can definitely talk about his usage next week, which was very different um, under Manny yes. Diaz. Uh, but the safety situation was interesting because we didn't see Zaki Wheatley out there until uh, the second quarter, and we thought that he was going to be the guy back there. So. I think that secondary is going to be it's going to be fun to watch uh, and, and interesting to monitor these next few weeks. Yeah, and James Franklin, by the way, said you think you saw a lot of guys play defense this week. Wait until next week. They say they want to go very deep at a lot of positions, play a lot of guys, and figure out who they have, establish depth. And I think really the goal is to go into October and know who your top 14, 15 defensive players are, and then you start to really lock into your starters. Until then, I think you're going to see a lot of names out there. Two names that we heard a lot about tonight on the broadcast and probably in the press box. Joey Porter Jr. went out there, got his first chance to really state his cases, that first-round kind of talent. And then Daquan Hardy, who I was tooting the horn for on our pregame show, he deserves some kind of an assist for that game-winning touchdown drive because his recovery and his ability with his with, with his uh, back to the quarterback, getting his hand in the passing lane, knocking that ball down, one of the – more impressive plays I've seen from a defensive back at Penn State, especially given the timing. Hardy was, I think that we kind of looked at each other in the press box and we just said, he's a player. Um, they were blitzing him off the edge. He had a couple, he made a couple key tackles. He kind of just seemed to be around the ball um, down the stretch. And he's someone who I think that Joey Porter Jr. obviously gets a lot of the attention for his NFL potential. But I think right now, Daquan Hardy is just a very, very good college player. And we don't really need to think about the NFL yet. Um, with him, even though I think that 
you know, if he keeps playing like this, he'll get some looks. But the cornerback play tonight was really interesting. Um, I thought Johnny Dixon struggled a little bit. Um, but the one thing that was really curious to me was that Purdue really went at Joey Porter. They kept throwing at him over and over and over again. They had a little bit of success there, but they weren't throwing over at Kalen King. Um, and, and he got the defensive game ball uh, for me there because, you know, when you're a cornerback and we're not talking about you, I think that that means that something's probably going pretty well. Um, and he had the one key pass breakup on the third and 18. So I thought that Porter, Hardy, and King all had their moments tonight. Um, I do think that Porter just kind of, you know, keeping coming back every time. You know, they're going at him, going at him, going at him. And he, you know, always seemed to have an answer. He'd get beat. He'd come back. He'd get called for a penalty. He'd come back. And I think that that's what you want to see at that position. He's not lacking for confidence. And I think that he probably made the most uh, of tonight as a showcase for him. Yeah, he was challenged. I can tell you on the television broadcast, they, they must have mentioned the first round draft pick potential thing about a dozen times. And I think it went from possible first round pick to by the end, slam dunk first round pick. So that's, <laughs> that's, that's what happens over the course of four quarters sometimes during these broadcasts. By the way, Aiden O'Connell is going to test these secondaries. He threw the ball almost 60 times. We talked so much about the accuracy. He had stretches where he got hot, but finished 29 of 58. 356 yards, one touchdown. Jeff Brom going to come under some scrutiny for the way they managed the clock with the lead late. They stayed pass-oriented. Penn State had answers. Daniel, we're going to get going. you got to get some sleep. you got to get out of that stadium to start. Uh, we're going to circle back, get with everybody, to begin next week for, for next game week. But before we shift focus to that Saturday kickoff against Ohio, we're going to take another long look back here. In the meantime, a lot of coverage coming your way at Lions247.com. It's already happening. Uh, and Hey, we got a random weekend that's open in September. This never happens. So, Daniel, I hope you enjoy it. I hope our listeners enjoy it. For now, Penn State's 1-0. It was an interesting road to get there. We'll talk about it again real soon right here on the Lions 24-7 podcast.